Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. And it seems like we have been in the plagues of Exodus for a really long time, and we're still there. And here we get to find out again why we're still here. So, um, again, this is Exodus 10, 1 through 11. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us uh, as we hear your word read and proclaimed. And help us to be those with ears to hear, with minds to think and understand, and with hearts that have been prepared and that are ready to receive your word into our lives today. I would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 10, 1 through 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go, worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me who will be going. Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you if I let you go along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No. Have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Turning then to our New Testament reading. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see these, all these great buildings, Jesus, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings are the beginning of birth pains. 
You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are continuing our series in the book of Revelation, and I mentioned that um, things are getting ready to get even wilder than they've been so far, and today we get there. However, today is also the last day we're going to be looking at Revelation for a while, so we're going to take a little break through the season of Advent, and we'll come back to that in January. But one of the things that we have been talking about in our look at the book of Revelation is how these various images are used in this vision that John receives, that there's a lot of meaning to these images. And, uh, and of course, that gets controversial. Like, how do you understand what this is and what that is? And I will tell you, there's pretty much not a thing in the whole book that everybody agrees on. <laughs> but that said, we get a lot of help in figuring this out when we go to the whole rest of the Bible. This is why I've said that it's a book that comes with 65 prerequisites. You've got to read all the rest of the Bible uh, in order to make sense of the vision in Revelation uh, without making a big mess of it. And we'll see that again today. Another thing that we've been talking about is how these images are used very much like how we use today things like um, political cartoons. And so I've used the example before of like if you have a a donkey and an elephant, and they are playing tug of war with an American flag. Those three things, the donkey, the elephant, and the flag, are all symbols, and we know what that means. And we don't expect that that means that there's going to be a donkey or that there was this last week that there was a donkey and there was an elephant and this is what they did uh, you know, somewhere in the country. No, we, we get it. We know what this means. These are representative of political parties and the country in general. But sometimes political cartoons bring in like individuals or other countries and how do you represent those when you don't have like a standard thing that represents them? And so then what you typically we do even today is it'll show like a person and they'll have like either a name tag or they'll be holding something that you're like, oh, okay, well, if that person is holding that thing, then that must be so-and-so. We get it. Okay, now we get the joke. So we're going to see that kind of thing in these uh, in this vision today, as uh, things kind of take a turn. Like this is really a turning point in the whole book of Revelation, and yet uh, we will see that what it's saying is still in line with everything it's been saying, everything the whole Bible has been saying, but in really different imagery. And so it's the kind of thing that gets your imagination going. Wait, before I read it. Same kind of thing. Think about this. It would be just fine if Jesus were to say, you know what the kingdom of God is like? The kingdom of God is something that starts small and gets big. And we could go, okay, we got that. But he doesn't say that. Instead, he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like the smallest of all the plants. But then it grows so big and all the birds can come and nest it. It's a, 
saying the same thing, but it gives us this image that is so rich that um, it sticks with us, and we think about that image, and that image of, in and of itself helps to communicate um, what it is that he's talking about, something small. That is being, and I've recommended before, go read through all the parables that, uh, that Jesus tells about the kingdom of God. We talked about that some last week as well. But the images he uses are just so helpful when you know what he's talking about. Okay, this, we're in Revelation chapter 12, and uh, just get ready. Here we go. Uh, and we're going to stop periodically to identify some of these main people early on. So we have, starting out, a great sign appeared in heaven. All right. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. So far, so good. You got that? All right. Let's start identifying. We've got this woman who is pregnant and about to give birth. But who is this woman? What clues are we given to be able to identify who this is? Kind of like the political cartoons. We're holding something to, oh, okay, I got it. We've got sun, moon, and stars, right? How many stars? Twelve stars. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 37, Joseph has a dream. You remember that? This is Joseph having a dream when he's still a young man, and he's telling his family, he says, Genesis 37, verse 9, Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Sound familiar? You notice the difference, though? There's only 11 stars this time, right? But if you keep reading, you realize that what it's talking about is his mother, his father, and his 11 brothers, which would make him the 12th. And so now if you're thinking about this woman who is clothed in the sun and the moon and has the crown with seven or with 12 stars, it's like, wait a second. I think this is supposed to be representing the whole people of Israel. As we move forward, we'll see it's not just the people of Israel, it's the people of God. And yeah, I'd say we'll see that moving forward. And then, uh, so it's people of God that are pregnant and crying out with pain, about to give birth. Hold on to that one for a minute. We'll get there. Next. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. On its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And any idea who this might be? You see a big dragon. What in the world is this big dragon? Well, we're given some clues. One, uh, as it talks about it later, as a, as a serpent. We haven't gotten there yet, but refer to this dragon as a serpent. But now it's this serpent as the serpent from the Garden of Eden. Remember that? All the way back there. But now one that has grown into just incredible proportions <laughs> to the point that it can sweep its tail and a third of the stars from the sky. That's a pretty big dragon. 
Well, there's another reference in Daniel 7. Last week we talked about Daniel 2, and we were going to go to 7, and then we ran out of time. So here it is. In Daniel 7, 7, it says, After that in my vision I looked, uh, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Did you notice the ten horns that the dragon has? Here we see that again. It's like this way of identifying these visions that are actually bringing together lots of things from the whole of the Bible. I'm just pointing out little bits here and there to make the connection. And so now what we're looking at in these symbolic terms is the people of God and this ancient serpent. And you remember what happened all the way back in Genesis 3? Maybe. It's the Garden of Eden. And um, they, Adam and Eve eaten the fruit. They listened to the serpent instead of listening to God. And then when God comes and pronounces the judgment, he says, uh, verse 14, Then so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So from the very beginning, there has been this conflict that's going to happen between the woman and the serpent. Although it's going to be you know, between your offspring and hers. We're going to see uh, how that then plays out through the whole rest of the Bible. And now here we see this again. So now we have the, the woman as a representative of the people of God, and we have this dragon, representative of the, the great beast himself, the serpent of old, but now with all kinds of power and size and scale. And as we continue reading, it doesn't look good. It says... The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Doesn't look good. And it says, She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. All right, we've got to identify who is this child. Are we given any clues about who this child is? She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That sound familiar from anywhere? Shows up several places. Here's one in Psalm, uh, Psalm 2, verse 9, uh, a psalm that was recognized as being a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that talks about, you know, all the nations, how come they're all the time raging against God and against his king? What, what is with that, you know? And how God is going to actually establish his own king. And in verse 9, it says about that king, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And so this is a way that even in this vision, this child is connected with 
the Messiah. And so when we think back just to what we've looked at so far, it's, it's the biblical story, right? We have the Messiah who comes from the people of God, who is born, born of woman at just the right time. And yet, what is it that happens when Jesus is born? It seems like all of the evil forces are just have crosshairs on him. They want to take him down immediately. And so we see when Jesus goes and uh, he uh, gets baptized, and then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And what happens there? It's like the showdown with the devil himself and trying to get Jesus to turn away from God very similarly to the way that the serpent in the Garden of Eden got Adam and Eve to turn away from God. But Jesus doesn't. And in fact, it's the same kind of thing that uh, happens in the wilderness with the people of Israel as they turn away from God in all these various ways. And it's the same test then that Jesus faces in the wilderness and he passes. And for the, the rest of the time as we follow through the Gospels, we see this opposition to Jesus that's coming from these uh, evil, demonic forces to the point that he's killed. And yet, that doesn't uh, defeat him. That's actually the way that he defeats them. And so this is, uh, this is what's being shown to us again, but in very very different imagery than what we're used to. And so, again, it's the same kind of thing where you say, oh, the kingdom of God is like something small that grows. Now the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It grows to be the largest of all. The... This is what we're seeing here, the same story we should be familiar with, but told in these uh, kind of epic proportions and scales and with these imagery, images. And so it says, Then the woman fled in the wilderness to a place prepared for God, by God where she might be taken care of uh, for 1,260 days. Don't you love the specificity of that? Like, what happens on day 1,261? No longer protected? What is, what's going on here? Now, this, this is a strange thing we see throughout this book where we see this time period that keeps getting depicted. It's the same time period, but it keeps getting depicted in different ways. So if you... Um, if you take 1,260, divide it by 42, because why wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> no, you do, if you divide it by 42, it comes up with 30. So you've got 42 months of 30 days, basically. 42 months also being uh, three and a half years. And you see that same time period depicted over and over through this book. And, uh, and it seems like it's always referring to this time period of uh, the time between Jesus life, death, and resurrection, and then his return. Like, this is what we're talking about here. And so here you've got um, the woman fleeing into the wilderness. And uh, yet it's a place that's prepared for by God where she might be taken care of. And this is one of the things that we've already seen in the book of Revelation. We've already seen this uh, throughout the rest of the New Testament even, of this uh, people of God being persecuted and yet also protected. And that physically, though they may be killed even, that spiritually they are kept absolutely safe and secure. And 
Okay, so then we get another image. We're not going to keep going through with all the same details before, but hopefully with this in mind, it makes sense of some of the rest of this. Because then, oh, and when we're talking about the word then, like then this happened, then this happened, again, remember, it's not then this happened, it's then I saw this. Uh, so we're always supposed to be asking, what did John see next, not what, did, what happened next? And same kind of thing here. Okay, so then... And in Greek, it's actually just the word and, so I don't know why we keep translating it as then, but anyway. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accusers of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the sea, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Continuing. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time. Out of the serpent's reach. We just got to pause there and address the time, times, and half a time. If, if a time is a year, and times would be two years, and a half a time, now we're looking at three and a half years. The same time period that we've been talking about already, the 42 months, the 1,260 days. It's all the same time period. Okay. So, yes. So she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then, so things haven't gotten crazy enough, then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Whew. That's wild stuff, isn't it? This is wild stuff. And, uh, and yet, it's the same thing that we have been talking about Sunday after Sunday for years. Is that, uh, and this is what we've been getting throughout the book of Revelation thus far, as you have those who are a part of the people of God, those who are in Jesus, are those who are able to stand. It is um, the one who is the evil one who wants to put an end to all that, whose doom is already assured. So this, hmm, verse 15, when it says, from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away in the torrent. Any idea what in the world that's about? It's super weird, isn't it? Unless, you think, what is it that comes out of someone's mouth 
We say earlier Jesus depicted as having a sword coming out of his mouth, right? And we talk about that as the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it makes sense that the Word of God would be what is coming out of his mouth. Well, here we see this river coming out of the serpent's mouth. The serpent has already been identified for us as the devil himself. What is it that the devil, what, what comes out of the devil's mouth? Lies, accusations. Yeah, this is what's coming out. And so he's trying to sweep her away with all the lies and the accusations that he has. And does it work? Can the devil destroy the church with his lies and accusations? No. Isn't that good to know? <laughs> this is good to know. And, uh, and this is, does the earth help the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river of the dragon that spewed out of his mouth? And then the dragon was enraged. The woman went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. He cannot hurt the church as a whole. Maybe I can get individuals, right? And who are these people? Who are the offspring? These individual people. And it says, it's those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. We were told earlier in the, um, the loud voice in heaven that's saying, now has come the salvation and the power. It says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. It says, they triumphed over him. How? How did they triumph? They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you dwell in them. And it talks about how the the devil is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. He knows he's already lost. This is like the, you know, you get the animal cornered and it starts lashing out because what else is it going to do, right? And this is what he's doing is as one who is already caught. But what we're told throughout all of this is that no matter what he does, he cannot win. That has already been decided. It is uh, game over. I do want to point out we are just in the middle of this book, and we will get further down the road. But I want to take a peek at the end. <laughs> in chapter 22, because there's, there's another, another river that shows up later. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. And it goes on from there. It's so good. But we do have this image again of the, another river, but this one is not the river of lies that's coming from the devil against the people of God. This is the river of life that is coming from the throne of God himself. And I want us to think about this. When we think about how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has actually, like, this is what has won the victory. This is what has defeated the devil. Think about how this applies to the lies from the evil one. What is the biggest lie? I mean, there are two really big ones, right? 
One is you don't need God. This was the lie from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. You don't need him. You don't need to follow what he said. You do your own thing, right? So that's the big lie. Does the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus have anything to do with that? It counters that, doesn't it? It lets us know we absolutely need God, that apart from him, we are hopeless, that he has to come and die for us or we have no hope. But what's the other big lie? The other big lie is you are not loved, that God could not love you. I mean, you know the things you've done, the things you've thought, the things you've said, the way you've been. You know that deep down, if you think if, if anybody knew who you really were, you would be rejected, not welcomed. You would be shunned, not loved. How does the cross of Jesus answer that lie? cross of Jesus says the one who knows you most of all knows all the things that you try to hide from everybody else. He knows all of it and love you so much. He would die for you. You see how the cross of Jesus (laughs) is what wins the victory over even the lies of the devil. There's nothing he can say (laughs) as long as we remember the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There's nothing the devil can say that can overcome that. This is why when we come to the table, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget what Jesus has done. Don't forget how much he knows you, how much he loves you. Because it is in the death of Jesus that we do have the victory. It is as we hold close to him, as we know that we need a savior, but not only that, but that in Jesus we have one. This is where our victory is. This, I think, is also where that that river of life comes in that just keeps welling up to eternal life, which takes us back to John, what Jesus was saying there. But anyway, for now, let us remember that in Jesus we have the victory, that there will be hardships in this life, but nothing that overcomes uh, the victory that we have in Jesus, that we might uh, actually be killed. And that still doesn't overcome the victory that we have in Jesus. Um, this is what was said. Where it says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.